a person of faith dares to look God straight in the eye and ask, where are you when I need you? I mean, think about it. Only a child who trusts a parent to be there for her when she needs them complains to them when they are not around to help. Only a person who deep down trusts God dares to complain to God when he's not there to help. Only a person with a lot of faith dares to put it this bluntly and straight to the creator of the universe. Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. The story of King David is a remarkable testimony of God's faithfulness to his people Israel. His life and faith journey point us to Christ, who is the promised king that would surpass David and save his people. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now, here's this week's message. Our reading is from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By, by night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back here. The last time I preached here was in May of 2018. That was about a year after I had retired. Justin has tried many times, I know, to get me here. And by the way, I just want to say how blessed I think you are to have Justin as your lead pastor. Now, I know that you are in a series that I have been following off and on as well on First and Second Samuel, focusing in these weeks especially on um, the story of David, the king that was only a shadow, of course, of the true king, Jesus, to come. I don't want to mess with that series, and so this morning, because we are in the season of Lent, we focus in a psalm written by King David that speaks so deeply into many of our lives and that finds its fulfillment on so many different levels in the life and death and resurrection 
of the King of Kings, Jesus. Psalm 22. If you have lived as long as I have, for sure, <laughs> but even if you haven't, you have lost your innocence when it comes to life a long time ago. It happens the moment you experience your first big grief. Up to then, you knew bad things also happen to good people. That faith in God is no guarantee against tragedy. But you do not really understand that until you face your own first big grief. Up to then, your life was rather carefree, pain-free. Loving parents, I hope. A welcoming home, a good upbringing, an education, meaningful friendships, satisfying work, a caring church. More than enough for you to feel that God's in His heaven and all is right with your world. Then, wham, the tests come back positive. Someone betrayed you, stabbed you in the back. You lost your job. No idea how you're going to support your family. You wake up one morning in a fog of depression for no reason you can understand. The child you loved so deeply dies. Or fill in the blank. And suddenly, your world, your life is turned upside down. It feels like the bottom has fallen out. And life is spinning out of control. And what about God? For the first time, you begin to wonder... Can you really trust God to be there for you? Where were you, God? Don't you care? But you get no answer. You knocked at heaven's door, so to speak, and nobody was home. Heaven was silent, and you wondered if God had gone on leave of absence and left you alone. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it almost certainly will. Given the brokenness of our world and the unending grief all around us, it almost certainly will. For many of you, it has happened, I know. For others, it is where you are right now. For the rest of us, it is a daily possibility. And when it does happen, you may find yourself asking God the most painful question that anyone who believes in Him can ever ask. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? Why, O oh God, have you let me down? And you know you will not be the first person to ask God this question. Because it is King David, one of the most beloved writers in the entire Bible, who already several millennia ago asked that same question that you have asked or wanted to ask, but you didn't quite dare to. Although we do not know the exact situation that led to his cry, here it is, right in the very heart of the Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mind you, he's not asking whether there is a God. He knows that God exists. That is just a problem. 
What good does it do if God exists out there somewhere, but is not down here? When I need him. It is precisely because we believe God exists that it hurts so much when he seems to be absent in our time of trouble. And here is an even bigger problem for David. The testimony of God's people in the past has been that the Lord has always faithfully delivered them. Listen to verses 4 and 5. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. In fact, up to this point in David's life, that has also been his personal experience. From birth he says, you made me trust in you, Lord. I took it in like mother's breast milk. I just grew up believing and trusting it. And now this. I call out, and you're not answering God. There is this enormous gap between him and God at this point in his life. God may be enthroned as the Holy One, he says, but I am a worm, and worms live in the dirt, in the depths, in the grave. That's how low he has sunk. And to top it all off, those who are close to him mock him for thinking that God was going to be there for him, that God could care less. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even if you haven't ever put that same question into words, I suspect many of you have felt the deep in your spirit and in your heart at some point in your life. So let's reflect on that question for just a few moments. The question to an absentee God, a God who seems to have gone AWOL. In a brief meditation on this psalm, the late Lewis Smeads, pastor and author, suggested there are five things to notice about what he calls, I quote, that awful question. Number one, David's question was a real question. Now, as a teacher, I have often reminded students, both kids and adults, that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Any question is a good question as long as it is a real question. You know, sometimes people ask questions to show off that they are smart enough to ask such brilliant questions. They just want to hear the teacher say, that was an excellent question, while they look around thinking, Pretty good, huh? Sometimes people ask tricky questions so they can embarrass somebody. But those are phony questions. You ask a real question when you honestly do not know the answer and you badly want to know it. David simply did not know why God had let him down and his whole being cried out for an answer. So he went straight to God, face to face, and asked him, Why have you let me down? And it's okay. It is okay to question God as long as it is a real question. God honors honest questions. And so if you ever wonder why God has let you down, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God says, Go ahead and ask Looking ahead a little already at this point, 
remembering the season of Lent we entered again last week Sunday, you know that Jesus asked this very same question before he died. He too, hanging on a cross, asked it because he did not know and he wanted an answer. So as long as your question is real, you can ask your mother or your father or your elder or your pastor, but don't hesitate to go right to the source, to God. Two, David's question came from the heart. Didn't come from his left brain or his right brain or his front brain, his back brain, whatever brain you want to talk about, but it exploded from his heart. When your life feels as if it is falling apart and God does not lift a finger to help, you do not ask academic questions. Your question is a child's cry from the bottom of the heart. It's the cry of a child whose mom and dad have gone away and she's afraid they will not come back. It was the cry I remember still of our son Joel. When at age four he was playing in the church parking lot across the street from our house in Grand Rapids on the day that we moved back to Canada after all our studies and we moved to our first church. And I had parked my car outside of our driveway, not where it usually was. From inside the house we heard him across the street crying out, Where are you? Mom! Dad! David's question was like our son's cry. Mom and Dad have gone to Canada. They've left me alone. It is a cry from the heart. Where is God? Why has he gone away and left me alone? Whenever a hurting heart cries out, why? It is a cry that God respects because it deserves to be heard. Three, David's question is a protest to put it bluntly, David felt he had a right to expect God to keep his promises, to stay on the job, to do the sorts of things a good and faithful God is supposed to do. And when God did not show up, David filed this protest. A number of years ago, a pastor officiated at the funeral of a young woman who had just graduated from university when she was diagnosed with leukemia. She died just months later at the age of 22. At her funeral, the pastor began his sermon with these words, Dear friends, we have gathered here in the house of God to protest the death of Suzanne. Now some people thought it wasn't right for him to talk that way at a funeral. But I think he was. 22-year-old women are not supposed to die. And if you believe in God, and you trust in God to keep his promises, you feel like filing a protest when they do. When I think of all the untimely deaths that I have witnessed in my ministry, whether of young or old, all the funerals over which I have officiated, I know that feeling. God should have been there. God could have prevented this from happening. When David asked God, why he wasn't there when he needed him. He was saying to God, this is not the way I expect you to act. This is not the way it's supposed to be, and I protest. David's question, number four, takes a lot of faith to ask. You know, some people think that any person who questions God is in danger of losing their faith. They are so wrong. 
only someone who trusts God to be there with her gets this hurt when God doesn't show up. Only a person of faith dares to look God straight in the eye and ask, where are you when I need you? I mean, think about it. Only a child who trusts a parent to be there for her when she needs them complains to them when they are not around to help. Only a person who deep down trusts God dares to complain to God when he's not there to help. Only a person with a lot of faith dares to put it this bluntly and straight to the creator of the universe. Finally, David's question is the kind of question that can only be answered in experience. It needs an answer, all right. But the only good answer comes not in words, but in action, not in theory, but in experience. And so if you ever feel that God has gone away on vacation and left you on your own, go straight to him. Ask a question. Raise a protest. Ask him why he is letting you down. You think of the widow from Nain bringing her son to the grave, grieving the emptiness, the hopelessness of the life of a widow in those days when Jesus came along and breaking all the traditional rules, touched her son's dead body, told him to get up, and her son is restored to her just like that. Sometimes when you finally cry out and raise a protest and ask, where are you when I need you? God's answer comes without or with little delay. And I'm pretty sure some of you could tell such a story. But sometimes it doesn't. Other times you just have to wait. And how do you then still wait with hope? But that brings us back to the bedrock of our faith on these matters about where God is, doesn't it? It brings us back to a time long ago, though hundreds of years after King David, when the best and the brightest of all the ages, a son of David, was at the end of his rope, and it felt as if God had abandoned him. The son of David, the son of God, Jesus, imagine that, asked the very same question David asked in his time of trouble. You might wonder that Jesus did not quote the 23rd Psalm as he was dying on a cross. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Beautiful. No. It is Psalm 22 that Jesus took on his lips as he was being executed on a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he got no answer at all. Heaven was silent. Psalm 22 has often been called the fifth gospel account of Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you read the whole psalm later, you will see why. You read the story of Jesus' crucifixion and it makes this psalm read like prophecy. 
This psalm refers to Jesus' crucifixion in no less than six separate ways. Listen, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 7, all who see me mock me. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Verse 16, they pierce my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Jesus prays this psalm on the cross. <coughs> and it all comes true around him right down to the details, except for this major detail. The Lord does not save him from death. There is no stunning rescue, no sudden deliverance. Not yet. He saved others, they said, but it, he cannot save himself. David and others got rescued in the nick of time. But not Jesus. Jesus died. The Lord did not save him from death. Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, descended into Sheol, the realm of the dead. Jesus died. But then, just three days later, before the rays of morning light had filtered through the mists of the morning, before the citizens of Jerusalem had finished their second snooze, gotten their first cup of coffee, the Almighty God and Father and Creator of all got into that grave where Jesus' body lay, dead as a doornail, and raised Jesus from the dead. The Lord saves Jesus, not from death, but through death. Not rescue at the cross, but resurrection from the grave. Jesus asked the most painful question anybody can ever ask of God. And the answer came, not with words, but with action. Not in theory, but in life, in resurrection. And because of that, because of Lent, because of Easter, the pure praise part of the psalm, from verse 22 on to the end, now also fits Jesus perfectly. Verse 26, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Verse 29, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. It is finished. The Lord has delivered his people. This is what we especially remember in this season of Lent, that we have seen it happen in Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection, this whole psalm fits Jesus. And we declare it not only in this assembly, but we also tell it to the world, to rich, to poor, to all nations, even to people not yet born, that God has done it. But how about you? 
it may be that today, the only part that's really speaking to your soul is the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That at this moment in your life, you are terribly disappointed, even angry with God. Psalm 22 says to you, says to us that there's room for that in the relationship. God can take it. The truth is the Lord is much more accepting of that than a lot of Christians are. We as a church should never be afraid of honestly lamenting our losses and naming our griefs. How comforting that the Bible dares to name our feelings of abandonment and says it's okay. It's okay. God understands and God can take it. So if you feel that God has gone away on vacation and left you on your own, you go straight to him today. You ask a question. Raise a protest. Ask him why he's letting you down. And then you will have to do the hardest thing of all. Wait. Wait for him to come back the way Jesus did. Wait for him to come back and give you your own resurrection. It is the hardest job in the world. But knowing Jesus, you can wait with hope. Wait with hope for the Lord will come back. He always has and he will come back to you. You will know it. You will know it when he does. And isn't it true that many of us are able today to give personal testimonies of God's grace and favor experienced in times of loss and grief and struggle. How important that is to share in the community of faith. If God has delivered you, whether suddenly or it happened over a season of time, please make a vow today not to keep quiet about it, but share your own story of salvation gently, sensitively, with humility, with others and with us in order to help any of us who still grieve, who are still waiting to do so, to wait and grieve with hope. And finally, there is this. It is in Christ and in his resurrection that you and I too, all who only trust and wait, are saved. If not from death, then certainly through death. The day of resurrection, Sunday, every Sunday, tells us God has done it. He has done it in Christ, and he will do it in you. For the wages of sin is death. Lord, have mercy. But the gift of God, the gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the reason for praise. That's the reason for worship. That calls for a celebration even in the midst of grief. The poor shall eat and be satisfied, sings the psalmist. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Or in the words of the song of praise, we are invited to sing in response to God's good news today. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, 
My shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Well, you've been listening to the latest message in our series through First and Second Samuel, tracing the life of David, the Shadow King. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.